welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm not an expert, I'm an amateur like you. I'm here to learn and here to teach. So let's enjoy the ride together. Carpe Noctum, seize the night. I'm your host, Wayne Zool, and this is the Astro Guy Podcast. This August has had a bit of astronomy in the news. Last month, we saw the release of the first images from the James Webb Space Telescope, and they are just simply amazing. It's going to be so much fun seeing all the great discoveries that will be coming out of this great space observatory over the next 20 years. Comet Panstars is still visible as darkness falls at the start of the month, but you'll need to try to see it quickly as it's rapidly moving south as it heads towards its closest approach to the sun. The comet is only visible in binoculars or a telescope, and it's quickly heading out of Ophiuchus and moving into Scorpius, where by month's end it will be difficult to pick out of the evening twilight. It may still put on a show for observers in the southern hemisphere, only time will tell. On August 11th, the annual Perseid meteor shower will be at its peak. Unfortunately, the moon will be full and will likely wash out all but the very brightest Perseids. This sadly is not a good year for the Perseid meteor shower. Speaking of the moon, it begins the month as a nearly 17% illuminated crescent, low in the west after sunset. On the 5th, it will be at its first quarter phase. This is a great time to observe the moon through binoculars or a telescope, as you'll be able to make out lots of details, especially near the Terminator, the line between day and night on the moon. The last quarter moon is on the 19th, and new moon occurs on the 27th. Most of the planets are putting on a good show this month. Mercury, however, is lost in the evening twilight glow for most of the month, briefly appearing very low in the western sky late in the month. October mornings will offer a better glimpse of Mercury, so you just have to wait a couple of months. Brilliant Venus is shining brightly at magnitude minus 3.89, low in the east-northeast skies before sunrise. Try to spot it while you can, as it will soon be lost in the twilight glow until it reappears in the evening skies later this year. Mars is slowly getting larger and brighter as it heads towards opposition in December. Shining at magnitude 0.1, Mars is easy to spot in the early morning sky. Its distinctive reddish-orange hue make it stand out. At the start of the month, Mars is in Aries, but by August 9th, it will have moved into Taurus. By the end of the month, Mars rises around 11.30 p.m. and is well-placed for viewing around 2 a.m. Mars still appears small, as it only spans about 8 seconds of arc. The last quarter moon will be about 2.5 degrees away from Mars on the 19th, making a beautiful sight on that morning. On the 31st, Mars will be just under 6 degrees northwest of Aldebaran. It will be interesting to contrast the two, as Aldebaran is slightly fainter than Mars, but many people see their colors as very similar. What do you say? 
Jupiter spends the entire month in the constellation Cetus, just south of Pisces. It's easy to spot because it's so bright, shining at magnitude minus 2.76 and spanning about 47 arc seconds. Jupiter has a close approach to the moon on the 15th when they'll be separated by about three and a half degrees. Jupiter looks great in any telescope and you should easily see the equatorial bands and if timing is right, the great red spot. As always, night over night, you can watch the dance of Jupiter's four Galilean moons. Saturn is the show stealer this month as it is at opposition on the 14th, meaning that it rises when the sun sets and sets when the sun rises. Since Saturn will be in the sky pretty much all night, it's a great time to observe it. Located in Capricorn all month, Saturn is bright, glowing at magnitude 0.32 and appearing to have a whitish-yellow hue to the naked eye. Even 10-power binoculars will show Saturn's rings, but to really appreciate them, a telescope will do a better job. Saturn's disk spans 19 seconds of arc, but if you figure the rings into that, the planet spans 45 arc seconds. On the 12th, the moon will be four and a half degrees south of Saturn, making a beautiful pairing. Uranus is in the constellation Aries all month. It glows at magnitude 5.82, putting it on the edge of naked eye visibility from a dark site. The planet appears tiny, only spanning about four arc seconds in diameter. On August 2nd, Uranus will be just over a degree north of Mars, making it a bit easier to find. Neptune requires binoculars to spot, and a telescope is needed to detect that it's anything more than just another bluish star in the sky. Glowing feebly at magnitude 7.7, Neptune only spans 2.35 arc seconds. It appears very small. Neptune begins the month in Pisces, and by mid-month it moves into Aquarius. On the 14th, the moon will be five degrees south of Neptune, but it will be very bright and will make spotting Neptune even more difficult. That's all for our tour of the solar system this month. Normally, I'd focus on a couple of constellations and the treasures hidden within them, but this month we're going to do something a little different. Rather than explore a couple of constellations, we're going to go on a tour of the Milky Way. August evenings find the core of our galaxy on the southern horizon as the disk of our galaxy rises high overhead. From a dark sky location, the brighter parts of the core of the Milky Way show themselves in Sagittarius and Scorpius. This is where we'll start our tour, at the bright red star Antares, the heart of the Scorpion. Located about one degree west of Antares, is the large, bright, globular cluster M4. If M4 were located further north in the sky, it would be a standout object. M4 is easy to spot in binoculars, where it will appear as a fuzzy glow. Observing it through a telescope will reveal dozens of stars within the cluster. M4 glows at magnitude 5.9 and spans 26 arc minutes, making it one of the largest globular clusters in our skies. M4 lies about 7,200 light-years away from us. Our next object on the tour is located nearby, 
in the constellation Sagittarius. To find this gem, locate the teapot asterism, then going from the third magnitude star Alnazi, the tip of the spout of the teapot, sweep north six degrees and you'll see a large open cluster of stars. Careful observations will reveal a hazy grayish cloud surrounding the stars. This is the famous Lagoon Nebula, known as M8. It is a bright emission nebula that shines at magnitude 6.0 and spans one and a half degrees by two-thirds of a degree. The Lagoon Nebula is about 4,100 light-years away from us. Binoculars or a telescope at low power will yield the best views of this stellar nursery. About a degree and a half north of M8 lies the next object on our tour, M20, also known as the Trifid Nebula located about 5,200 light-years away from us. Smaller and fainter than its neighbor, it's actually pretty easy to see. After some careful observations, you should be able to spot the dark lanes of dust that give the Trifid its name. The Trifid glows at magnitude 6.3 and spans 20 arc minutes. Binoculars will show it easily, but a telescope will help bring out the details. Long exposure photographs show it as a red emission nebula and a blue reflection nebula. This is an object that you'll return to again and again. Our next tour object is also nearby. To find it, start at Caus Borealis, the star that represents the top of the teapot asterism, and sweep north 9 degrees and then go west 1.5 degrees and you'll spot another glowing patch of nebulosity embedded in an open cluster of stars. This is M17, the Omega Nebula, or the Swan Nebula. Glowing at magnitude 6 and spanning 40 by 30 arc minutes, the entire complex appears larger than the full moon, making this an excellent target for binoculars. Located about 5,500 light-years away, the Swan is a wonderful sight in any telescope at low magnification. Bright and easy to find, M17 will surely become one of your summertime favorites to observe. Our next object is very close by the Swan. Just nudge your telescope or binoculars two and a half degrees north and half a degree west and you'll be looking at one of the most famous deep sky objects in the night sky. It is commonly referred to as the Eagle Nebula, the Star Queen Nebula, or M16. In the What's Up in the Sky July episode, we spent some time discussing the Eagle Nebula, made famous by the Pillars of Creation image taken by the Hubble Space Telescope. When I'm observing on August evenings, the Eagle is always one of the objects that I spend a bit of time observing. The Eagle complex is large, spanning more than two degrees wide and listed at six magnitude. It is located about 7,000 light years away. If you're in a very dark sky location, you might even be able to pick it out with the naked eye. It looks amazing in binoculars and again, a telescope at low magnification will provide you with memorable views of this stunning nebula. Moving further up the Milky Way, We'll venture to the small, dim constellation Scutum to see the wild duck cluster, or M11. To spot M11, 
sweep from the Eagle Nebula about a third of the way to the bright star Altair, which is one of the summer triangle stars, and you should be looking right at M11. Located about 6,100 light years away from us, this dense open cluster spans about 95 light years in diameter and from dark skies is visible to the unaided eye as a faint patch about half the size of the full moon. This cluster glows at magnitude 5.8, but you'll need binoculars or a telescope to resolve any of the individual member stars, as the brightest member stars are around eighth magnitude. Our next object is one of my personal favorite summertime objects to observe. It's not very flashy, but for what it lacks in pizzazz, it makes up for it with personality and being very easy to locate. To find our next treat, look for the tiny constellation Sagitta the Arrow. This constellation actually looks like what it's supposed to be. Made up of four fourth magnitude stars, you can spot this constellation by starting with the three stars of the Summer Triangle, Deneb, Vega, and Altair. Imagine that the triangle is upside down, with the pointy side down. Have Altair as that peak of the triangle. Now, from Altair, imagine a line going right through the middle of the triangle to the base. About 10 degrees along that line from where Altair is, is where the constellation Sagitta lies. Once you spot it, you'll always see it. The constellation has three stars that make up the tail of the arrow, and another star represents the shaft of the arrow. At about the middle of the shaft is where our next treat lies. In binoculars, you'll see the globular cluster M71 as a dim, hazy patch of light. In a telescope, you'll see more detail, and with continued observations, you'll be able to resolve member stars of the cluster. The cluster is listed at magnitude 8.2 and spans just over 7 arc minutes and is located 13,000 light years distant. While it may not be as impressive as M4 or M13, this little guy, referred to as the angelfish cluster, is an overlooked object that I hope will become a summer favorite of yours. Another great object that you'll return to again and again is located just a few degrees away from M71. I'm referring to the famous Dumbbell Nebula in Volpecula. To locate the Dumbbell, start at the tip of the arrow in Sagitta and move four degrees north. The Dumbbell should be in your field of view. In binoculars, the Dumbbell, or M27, will appear small, but it's pretty easy to see. In a telescope, you'll notice that it has the distinct shape of an apple core which is its other name, the Applecore Nebula. Planetary nebula form as dying white dwarf stars begin puffing off their outer layers of gas. They are called planetary nebula as many appear round or planetary in shape, but they appear rather ghostly and not solid. M27 is listed as magnitude 7.5 and spans 8 by 5 arc minutes. It is located in the constellation Volpecula, the fox, and is 1,360 light-years distant. It was also the first planetary nebula discovered by Charles Messier. The next object on our tour will benefit from dark skies. 
It can be glimpsed with binoculars or a telescope as it's large, but somewhat difficult to pick out as it lies in a very star-rich area of the Milky Way. Now we move on to the constellation Cygnus the Swan, sometimes referred to as the Northern Cross. Located within the Summer Triangle, the bright constellation Cygnus has a wealth of wonderful star clusters and nebula to delight you for hours on end. To locate the Vale Nebula, start at Al Jana, known as Epsilon Cygni, and sweep three degrees southeast and you'll have the Vale Complex or Cygnus Loop in your binocular field. This is the remnant of a star that died in a fantastic explosion known as a supernova. This supernova occurred between 10 and 20,000 years ago, but the expansion of ionized gas and dust still glow, making a beautiful sight for summer evenings. The entire complex spans about 3 degrees in diameter, and the brighter parts of the nebula are about 7th magnitude. It is located about 2,400 light years away. In a telescope, you can explore the Western Veil, sometimes called the Witch's Broom, which is near the bright foreground star 52 Cygni. To me, the Eastern Veil is a bit easier to see in a telescope at low magnification, but both are relatively easy to spot. Photographs show an area in the middle of the loop that is often referred to as Pickering's Triangle. The final object on our tour this month is NGC 7000, which is commonly known as the North American Nebula. This large emission nebula really resembles North America. However, it can be challenging to observe as it's very large and in a very star-rich area. Even though it's listed at a bright fourth magnitude, its light is spread out over several degrees of sky Measuring about 2 by 2 degrees, this is a large object that's best seen with low-power binoculars. Located about 2,600 light-years away, the nebula is extremely easy to find, although it's tougher to see once you've found its location. But it's a challenge that's worth the effort. To locate the North American nebula, start at Deneb and sweep 3 degrees east and you'll have the nebula in your field. Try to move Deneb out of the field of view as its brightness can overtake the nebulosity. I've seen this with 10 by 50 binoculars from dark skies, and it's amazing to look at. Long exposure photographs show a lot of nebulosity nearby, including the Pelican Nebula just west of the North American Nebula. So now you have a handful of targets to look for in the Milky Way. However, I can tell you from experience that there is nothing more wonderful than being under a dark night sky scanning the Milky Way with binoculars. You'll find dozens of amazing clusters and nebulae that may become some of your favorite summer objects. So enjoy the night skies while it's warm out and explore the splendors that our Milky Way has to offer. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope that you found our time together to be fun and helpful. If you have questions or episode suggestions, please email us at astroguypodcast at gmail.com or 
leave us a text or a voicemail at 973-404-0380. If you're not already a member, please join the Astro Guy podcast group on Facebook. You'll find other members, videos, blogs, and other useful information there for your enjoyment. You can also visit our YouTube channel, The Astro Guy Podcast, for past episodes and other surprises. Please subscribe. It would be great if you would consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform. It helps us to get new listeners. Thank you again for listening, and may your skies be clear. As always, Carpe Noctum. Seize the night. I'm Wayne Zool, and this was the Astro Guy Podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, your questions, comments, and suggestions are welcome. Keep wondering. Keep your eyes on the sky. Have fun. Carpe Noctum. Seize the night.